Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's exactly what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today is a special broadcast of Real Life Radio as we start a brand new series called Do-Over. Asking the question, is there a moment in your life where you wish you had a do-over, a a mulligan? If you have a Bible nearby, go to John chapter 20 where Peter gets a do-over. Pastor Sean is beginning this brand new series on Easter Sunday. This is Real Life Radio. How you guys doing? Happy Easter. Man, uh, we do get fired up about Easter. And uh, I do want to say if you're a guest with us, welcome. I want to join with the others who welcomed you. But uh, we really do appreciate that you took time to come and be with us this morning. It is a very special day for us. Really, our whole faith rests on what happened the weekend that we're commemorating, that we're remembering. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 14, he said, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In other words, if he wasn't really raised, then, yeah, this whole thing is kind of just another meeting and not really worth our time. It's not. But i got to tell you, to us it's a big deal because we really believe that he is alive, that he is risen. The Apostle Paul really believes that he's alive, that he was risen. The people who saw Jesus... The hundreds of witnesses who saw him believe he is alive and risen. And we believe that that changes everything. So yes, this is a really big day for us. And we're glad that you were able to join us. Now, as Darna told you, we are starting a new series called Do-Over, Discovering the God of Second Chances. I think most of us could use a do-over now and then, right? I hope you will, and I'm going to ask you if you would hang with me for the next five weeks. Five weeks we're going to do this do-over series. And we're going to talk about do-over in a lot of different areas of life that I think can have a very transformative effect on our spiritual lives, but also on our everyday experience as we just walk through life in the Lord's presence. So I just want to encourage you. It's five weeks. You can do it, okay? Now, I had an experience just a few weeks ago where I really needed a do-over, okay? Um, Ryan and I went golfing. I won a, uh, I won a did someone just laugh at the fact that we even went golfing? Very insightful of you. Very good. Very good. Yeah, no, I won a gift certificate to uh, Santerra. Our, we have a tournament, a golf tournament every year uh, for kids camp. It was called Royal Family Kids Camp, and now we've, our team has really focused on a broader group in the inner city, and we're doing a camp called Real Life Kids Camp, and just taking a group of inner city k- kids in a great experience, and we do a golf tournament to help kind of raise funds for that. And we win prizes as part of the golf tournament. My team didn't win the tournament, okay? I was on it. That really was kind of a kiss of death from the beginning. But we got a prize. And one of the prizes was a round of golf at Santerra. So I take Ryan, and we're going to go to Santerra. But we realize at Santerra, every player has to have their own bag. Now, we have our own clubs, but Ryan lost his golf bag. I have no idea how, what he used it for, because there's the clubs, no bag. 
How does that even happen? I don't know. But he did. And so we're like, okay, they're not going to let us on Santerra, you know, with them wrapped with twine or sharing a bag, okay? So we get creative, as musicians are kind of known to do, and we grab a keyboard bag, okay, that we have. Take a look at this picture. I've right, got a picture for you. The one on the right, as you can see, is a keyboard. I think I fooled the guys at Santerra. I don't think they noticed. That's Ryan right there in front of the keyboard bag with the clubs, yeah. Let me just put it real plain for you. We were not the classiest pair at Santerra that day, okay? We were also not the most skilled golfers at Santerra. Now, I called, told them I'm coming. I want a tee time, right? Our tournament is on the south course at Santerra. So that's really the only one I played. They asked me, which course do you want? The south or the I didn't even know which one our tournament was on, okay? They're like, they caught me off guard. I'm like, okay, well, which one's closest to the clubhouse there? Because I know how to get to the clubhouse. Oh, the north course. Okay, so we're going to play the north course. Now, if you're a golfer and you've played Santero, you're snickering right now. Because the north course is not for humans. <laughs> that is not, no, that's wrong. That is wrong. You charge a guy all that money, and then you go, and then you got to hit that? I mean, there's, it's like these little fairways and everything and water and sand and gazelles. I thought I saw a gazelle running through Santerra. It was wrong. I mean, you know, it was like I was out on the savannah or something. And, there, here's, and then the up, elevated up here is this little tiny patch of grass that's called the green. And, you know, so I'm like, oh, seriously? It's not enough that I'm not good. You have to pound it into me every single hole, right? So I knew we were in trouble, and not to mention the fact that when we got to the course... In my bag, there weren't all the extra balls. Ryan and some buddies had played golf the week before, and they had taken my extra golf balls. I always carry lots of extra, like, water golf balls or, you know, hitting out in the weeds golf balls. I had none. So we got to go buy golf balls at the pro shop at Santerra. And guess what? The pro shop at Santerra charges more for golf balls than Academy. I wouldn't have known. I would have had no idea. So I'm like to Ryan, I'm like, <laughs> okay, one sleeve for you, one sleeve for me, that's it. Take good care of him. And then, of course, we're out on the north course, and we're losing balls left and right. So very quickly, within two, three holes, the whole game changed. Okay, it was no longer who's going to get the lowest score over 18 holes. It is now who is going to find enough balls to finish, that's one, Find enough balls to finish was first objective. Second objective was whoever has the most balls at the end wins. <laughs> whoever has the most golf balls at the end wins. It's because we're, we're out in the weeds with the machete wedge, you know, trying to find our ball. And it's like, okay, I got one. Ha! I truly was, you know, in water, kind of, oh, okay, trying to get a ball. Like, no, that's a good one, Ryan. Wait. Guys behind us, can we play through for the love of God, please? Sorry, go ahead. It was tough. Well, because it was so difficult, we gave each other a mulligan. Now, if you're a golfer, you know what a mulligan is. It's one of the most wonderful things in golf. Okay, the typical thing is in friendly golf, you'll give one mulligan or do-over per nine holes. So you can do one on the front nine, you can do one on the back nine. Here's the problem, okay? You know, we get off, and I'm kind of got the... <sighs> right to some ladies. Sorry, ma'am, sorry, no, I'm... I apologize. No, I'm a pastor. Yeah, that's right. Yes, Community Bible Church. That's right. That's, sorry. 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 <laughs> Don't tell Robert Emmett I said that, okay? <laughs> Help a brother out. 
So it's like I just shanked it off into some lady's yard. Every other one's been in the weeds and the water and the sand and the clubhouse. It doesn't matter. What good is another shot for me? Because here's the problem. It's not about the shot. It's not about the extra ball. It's not about anything like that. It's about that guy hitting it. I've got a mulligan. Yay, I'm still terrible. So what good's it going to do? Well, <laughs> we'll get back to that in a little bit, okay? I want to talk about a do-over that I think is a heck of a lot more effective than a mulligan at golf where I'm, like, taking the second shot. It's actually the ultimate do-over, and it's such a beautiful picture in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21. Powerful story. The ultimate do-over. We read John 21, beginning right at the first verse. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Now, you, whenever you see that, you've got to ask, okay, what, after what? You've got to stop and go, okay, afterwards. He tells us that. Why? After what? Well, if you know the story, you know Jesus was crucified. These disciples had left everything. They totally recognized Jesus as the Messiah, the promised Messiah of Israel. They'd left everything to follow him. And they watched him taken prisoner by Roman soldiers. They watched him be betrayed. They watched him put on a cross. And they watched him die. And they're expecting, like, I mean, you, can you imagine how horrible that was for them? Everything. And it's over. They watched him be pulled down, put in a borrowed tomb, and a stone rolled to seal the opening of the tomb. And it's over. Well, on the third day, because they couldn't prepare Jesus' body for burial on the Sabbath day. So the next day, the first day of the week, some women went to the tomb, and they discovered that the stone had been rolled away. They ran back, and they told the disciples. And in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 3, we read that Peter and the other disciple, this is John speaking of himself, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. And then in parentheses, he inserts this. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So we're not sure where his belief was. He believed what the women had said. The stone had been rolled away. He believed that Jesus wasn't there. Did he understand the full implication? He's confessing, I think, that no, we didn't yet. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Well, over the next number of days, there are a couple of appearances where Jesus appears to his disciples, and they're not sure what to make of it. First, they think, is he a ghost? But no, they touch him, and, and it's like they're trying to find a category to process this event, and they really can't. But one of the interesting things about these two appearances is he never spoke with Simon Peter. And I go, what's so significant about that? Well, first of all, Simon is one of the more boisterous and kind of one of the leaders of the disciples, if you will. But also, Simon had had a pretty big, there was a pretty big elephant in the room when it came to Simon. Because on the night Jesus was betrayed, they were having their Passover meal together. Jesus had said, you guys are going to be scattered. Some of you are going to flee. And Simon said, I'm never going to run. I'll never flee, Lord. I'll never turn my back on you. And Jesus says, Peter, before tonight is over, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And the horrible part is that's exactly what happened. We want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in a series called Do-Over. 
If you'd like to hear this full, unedited message, it's available right now as a free download at the River City website called reallife.org. Just look for the sermon link. And if you think you'd like to come visit River City, well, here's an invitation from Pastor Sean. Hi, this is Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church. I want to take just a moment and invite you to experience Saturday nights at River City. This new 5 p.m. service will be an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights all designed to explore the real life that God designed us for. River City is located on Lookout Road right across from Atama Park with entrances on both Lookout and Evans Road. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is called reallife.org. To find out more about Saturday nights or our Sunday services, go to reallife.org. We hope to see you soon on the road to real life. Welcome back as we return to this message called Do-Over. This is Real Life Radio. He was asked three times after Jesus was arrested and this whole thing's coming down and everybody's scared and they're scattered. He's asked three times and three times he says, I don't, I don't know the man. He had failed his Lord, his Savior, and his best friend in the very worst way possible. Well, John 21 goes on and tells us it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. That's seven of them, seven disciples. And Peter says this, I'm going out to fish, he tells them. Well, understand something. That's not like me and Ryan go, hey, let's go golf. Or that's not like some guy grabbing a cooler in the boat and say, let's go fish. This is different. See, this had been Peter's profession before he left everything to follow Jesus. This is like if Peter had been a trucker, he's saying, yeah, I'm going back to pick up some routes. If he'd been an accountant, I'm going back to, to get a job, see if I can get my old job. Peter was thrown in the towel and quitting. And he's going back to the life he had left to follow Jesus. I'm going to go fish, Simon told him. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Which every fisherman loves. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, if you know the story, you know kind of the history of these guys with Jesus. Or if you're one of these disciples in the boat, when you hear that, the hair goes up on the back of your neck because there's a deja vu happening. This is very reminiscent of the actual day when Jesus called them and invited them to follow him. Goes on, it says, they did what he said. They threw their nets on the right side. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And at this point, you realize they've been here before. In Luke 5, when they were called, you remember the story. Jesus is teaching, borrows one of their boats after he's done teaching. He says, hey, let's go out and fish. And they're like, Lord, we fished all night, nothing. And, you know, I'm sure you're a very good preacher and all, but we're fishermen, we kind of know, you know. And he's like, no, go ahead and do it. Okay, Lord, because you say... And they do, and they catch the biggest catch of fish they've ever caught. They have to get help. It's this huge thing. And they realize this is no ordinary preacher. This is someone different. And at that moment, he invites them to come and follow them. And he says, I'll make you fishers of men. And they leave everything, and they go follow him. So this is this huge deja vu, this huge reenactment. So much so that in verse 7, we said the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say it, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals. Now, I want you to keep that little picture of that little fire in your mind, okay? That's important. 
they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said, well, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come, let's have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him who you are. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took bread, gave it to them, did the same with the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, we're told when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, when he says that, do you love me more than these, we're not sure what he's talking about. They knew, because it's likely there was some kind of hand gesture. Most scholars think, well, he's probably talking about the other disciples. He's talking about, do you love me more than they do? But understand, there's also a boat, a net, and a bunch of fish sitting in a pile that all were the tools of his trade. They represent the life he had left, the life that he's now flirting with going back to. And Jesus may very well have been, Simon, do you love me more than these? Or he may. We don't know. But Simon knew. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Second time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time, he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And I wonder if that moment on that third confession of his love for Jesus, if Simon realized what Jesus had just done. You see, Jesus had just staged another reenactment. And he had given Peter a literal do-over. That little campfire mattered. Because you remember on the night Jesus was betrayed and they went out and they took Jesus? Peter found himself alone, terrified, and by a little campfire warming his hands. And we're told a servant girl says, hey, wait a minute, weren't you one of the ones with the Galilean? Nope, I don't know him. Someone else says, no, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, you you were with him, weren't, weren't you? Nope, never knew him, don't know him. Third person, no, I'm pretty sure I saw you with him. And Peter curses and says, I don't know him. Three times around that little campfire on that night, he denied he never, he ever even knew Jesus. And here Jesus had created this beautiful recreation, little campfire, and three times he says, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. And what he did was he gave him a literal opportunity to do it over the way he wished he would have done it that night that Jesus was betrayed. That's awesome. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. You know what he's saying? Peter, I know it. I know your heart, Peter, and you're right, because one day you're going to give your life for me. In other words, you're going to have all the time in the world, Peter, to prove what's really in your heart. And then he said to him, follow me, and oh, that's kind of like the bow on the wrapper, because those are the very words he said. It's not actually phrased exactly that way in Luke chapter 5, but if you go to Matthew 4, Jesus calling a Peter and them, those were the exact words he used, come, follow me. And here, after Peter thought he blew it, after he thought it was over, there's no hope, I'm going to quit, I'm done, Jesus puts this whole thing together, and then he says to him, Peter, 
follow me. I wonder what Peter felt when he heard those words. I, can you imagine? When he realized, it's not over. I didn't blow it. I, I got a do-over. <laughs> you see, this entire encounter, I believe, is screaming a single message to Simon Peter. And I want to suggest to us as well. And it's very simply this, and please, if you have the notes, I want you to write this down, because I want you to remember this, it'll be important through the rest of this series. Very simply, because of Jesus, you really can have a do-over. Because of Jesus, you really can have a do-over. I don't care what you've done that you think, oh, there's no way I can redo that. I don't care what mistake you've made. I don't care what decision you made when you were at a crossroads and you took a, a, a path and you thought, that's the wrong path, I wish I wouldn't have done that, but it's too late now. I don't care what relationship may have been broken or what things you may have done that you think there's no way I can ever gain that back. Because of Jesus, you really can have a do-over. And he went to great lengths to show Simon that. And I want to suggest in his word, he goes to great lengths to show us that as well. The question is, will we let him? See, because we sometimes think, no, 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 there's no way. I blew it. It's done. I can't. It's over. And the scripture uses language, beautiful language. It says, I will give you beauty instead of ashes. I will give you the oil of joy instead of mourning. I will give you a garment of praise in exchange for that spirit of heaviness that you're wearing. In Joel chapter 2, there's this prophecy that says, the Lord will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. You may have had devastation. Your mistakes, the enemy may have taken from you. You may have had loss, but in his power and in his strength, he says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. You go, but there's stuff I can never reclaim. You don't know what can happen because of God. The most important phrase in this sentence isn't that you could have a do-over. It's because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you really can have a do-over couple things peter discovered that we need to discover one you really are forgiven you really are forgiven jesus died to make forgiveness possible see remember the the whole problem that we deal with is our sin scripture says to him who knows what to do or knows what is right and doesn't do it that's sin god is perfect holy and pure and any time that we violate god's law go against whether we know it or not we're in sin and the scripture says very clearly all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god all of us. And it says that the wages or the just righteous penalty of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why Jesus? Well, that's why we have the cross in our sanctuary. That's why we wear crosses around our neck, because it was on the cross that Jesus Christ, who himself had no sin, voluntarily gave up his life to pay the death penalty for your and my sin. So God could at the same time be fully just and fully merciful. That's just amazing. You've just got to understand that. Because if God were unjust, unfair, if he were unjust in, in general, he wouldn't be good. He has to be just. Sin deserves a death penalty. Sin cannot live in the presence of an eternal holy God. And so Father, in his brilliance, makes a plan whereby he can be fully just. Your penalty, my penalty, paid by Jesus Christ. Paid in full, stamped. Debt paid. But then to us, he can extend grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And now he can come into our lives and he can, by his spirit, empower us to live a different life. That's how Jesus Christ secured our forgiveness. That's why I sometimes say, we're all here at a ticket. We're here to banquet, folks, on a ticket bought by someone else. And it's Jesus Christ. You really are 
forgiven. And he's not begrudging about it. You know, we talk about the difference between formal forgiveness and actual forgiveness. And you're like, I I never heard about that. I've never heard of formal forgiveness and actual forgiveness. Well, it's because I just made it up. But, wait, because when I tell you what it is, you're going to go, no, no, that's right. That's a real thing. It's true. He, He, you know, somebody should have said it first, okay? Formal forgiveness. It's like when I really blow it with my wife, Lori, I do something really stupid, something she's really mad, and she's like, all of me, and I'm doing the, you know, come on, honey, please. You, you know the deal, okay? Yeah, you've been there before. And I say, I know, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And she says, yes, because she's a good Christian woman, she's a godly woman, and she says, yes, I'm going to forgive you. But then an hour later, and I'm like, why are you still not looking me in the eye or speaking to me? Because I don't like you. I've been formally forgiven because she's a godly Christian woman. But she's still in that place where she don't like me and she's not sure she's sad that she had to kind of thing. You know what I mean, you, okay? I know I'm actually forgiven when she sits down on the couch by me and grabs my hand, holds my hand, or smiles at me, or laughs at one of my stupid jokes, something like that. Then I know, okay, all right, we're back. We're, we're in, we're back. And I am actually forgiven. Let me just say, in Jesus Christ... In the cross, you are actually forgiven. He's not begrudging. He's not like, oh, why did I make this deal? I can't believe it. That is not his heart. He wants to forgive you. He wanted to make a way. He knows we can't earn our own way. He knows we need forgiveness, and that's why he did it. You really are forgiven. What that means is your failures are not final. They are not final. They don't get to define you. They don't get to have the final word. They don't get to win. That's powerful. You really can have a do-over because of Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio in this series called Do-Over. If you'd like to hear the full unedited message all over again and this series, it's available right now as a free download when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course, you're always invited to come visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park. See all the details, directions, and service times, including the new Saturday night service, also at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525.